Hello everyone and welcome back to a theater near you. My name is Chris Randazzo and I'm joined this evening as always by mafioso baseball enthusiast Paul Giroux. I want you to find this Nancy boy Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. I want to go there in the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ashes. And Irish bullet sponge, Sean Doyle. Just like a silly dago to bring a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm just opening it up with racism. Fuck it. <laughs> this month's letter was you, and we went with Paul's pick, The Untouchables. Was Prohibition a good idea? Let's find out. No. How's it going, guys? Podcast over. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I think that's been solved for us. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, how are you gentlemen doing, huh? Oh, you know. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that size says it all. I think, that, I think that's how we're doing. Yeah. Oh. You know what's not... You know what doesn't suck is movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about movies, because that'll make us feel better. So, I, I got a side tangent that's tangentially related that's that's bringing me a slight bit of joy as of late. Uh, I love slight bits of joy. Bring it, bring it, do pour it. it on me. Do so it. So I randomly decided to uh, start watching every sitcom from a given year. Because, like, I'd watched all the sitcoms that I thought I wanted to watch. Like, Pandemic's really given me some downtime. And then, like, while I'm working, I put the TV on in the background. So, like, I've gone through the office, like, four or five times at this point. It's a brilliant show, and it's great to have on in the background. Uh, I also went back through and watched Night Court. I spoke about that on here and how much I love that. And I do love the new series. Uh, I think they're doing a great job. Again, I think the writing could could step it up a notch uh, on the jokes. But as far as everything else, like the feel of it, the pacing, I feel like they really nailed that new Night Court really well. Um, again, uh, to the writers, just, just punch it up a little bit. Um, so I just randomly picked 1991 for no no other reason than, I don't know, that's a year, right? Um <laughs> And then I, I ran down every rabbit hole I could find on the internet, and I found uh, 71. Shows that started in 90? Like, yeah. did the show have to start in that year, or was like the, the season from that year? No, no. The shows that started that year, because it's just, okay. there's so many sitcoms that only ran like four episodes in any given year, um, that it, it really becomes overwhelming. You're going to get to that Emerald show. Emerald? Oh, God, I'm not like, there yeah. yet. Like the there chef? was an Emerald sitcom, yeah, yeah. There's shit. It was an Emerald sitcom. I think it ran for a single episode before getting canceled. Does he cook or does he just have hijinks? I don't know. I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> there was only one episode, and Chris was out that <laughs> night. <laughs> so just in 1991, just in 1991, I found 71 shows that started 71 sitcoms what? that started what? in 1991 that started in oh. 1991. Uh, now, I took a wide a wide net here. Anything that anybody <laughs> called a sitcom anywhere on the internet that I could find, I was like, well, they called it a sitcom, whether it was Wikipedia or IMDb or, or whoever, right? So there's some things on here that I don't I don't think are sitcoms, but I watch one episode of them, and then I just mark it off my list. All right, I watched it, and I'm like, you know, I make a little note. This isn't a sitcom. This is bullshit. Um, <laughs> and I think this so. I have one or two that are probably worth mentioning. And I haven't gotten through them all yet. I've watched about 40 of the, the 71 that I could find oh my God. Uh, so far. And the, uh, there's a couple in there that like, here, here's, and this, this could be a whole wait, podcast wait, in and of wait, itself. Sorry. The experiment is just to watch one episode of each. 
Yeah, I couldn't okay. watch every episode. I mean, it would take it would take you years to sure, to sure, just sure. get through 1991. Yeah. Um, but the uh, so lots of things I I've decided aren't sitcoms, and I'm watching them anyway. I'm watching one episode before I make that. But but something like the Wonder Years because it was this show Brooklyn Bridge that is basically the Wonder Years, but the kids Jewish. Like I mean. There's really not a dime's worth of difference between this show and The Wonder Years. I don't think that's a sitcom. It's no, a drama right. that yeah. happens to have some funny parts, certainly. And it's a Wonder Years is a great show. I'm not talking ill on it at all. Uh, no, it's not a sitcom. Show. Right, but but Wikipedia and IMDb have it listed as a sitcom. And I'm just like, no, it's not, that's not what this is. This is a yeah. drama that happens to have some funny moments, but it's not a situation comedy. Uh, right. And there's lots of things on, on the list that I get to and I'm like, no, that's I don't I don't think you're right. And so and there's some cartoons are listed as sitcoms that like obviously The Simpsons is a sitcom, uh-huh. but then you get to things like they got Rugrats listed as a sitcom, and I'm like I don't I don't know I watched it and mm. and I'm not talking crap on Rugrats. It's a fine cartoon. I guess it. I guess it. I mean that would technically how how big a net are you going to throw? You know it is. I mean it is a situation. It is a comedic show designed around the characters getting into wacky situations i don't i don't think that rugrats is a a sitcom like it's like a does that make does that make muppet babies a sitcom uh it didn't air in 1991 so i haven't looked that one up yet (laughs) if you wanted to get technical but i mean like i I still wouldn't qualify it is it i mean i guess i could see the point the the purpose of qualifying it is that but it's 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 a kid's show it's like its own thing but then see so that's a difficult one too because then like some of these sitcoms are clearly designed for kids but then as you like it's a, it's a gradation situation. Like Salute Your Shorts first aired in 1991 and oh, is listed as a yeah. sitcom. Clearly a children's show, fine show. But that's that's definitely a. But it's a kid. That's a kid's sitcom. That's, that's a, a kid's sitcom. Yeah. sitcom. Right, like, I, and then I you move into explains yeah. it all as a sitcom. Right, you know? that's the that's the next one up the gradation. Then you get to Clarissa Farts. explains it all, and you're like, that's a little bit more mature, but it's still pretty much for kids. But then the next step up is Blossom, and then it's like, well, where do you draw the line? Because like you can just keep gradationing your your way all the way up to like i mean different strokes is clearly a sitcom but you know what it's pretty childish um but then like one step below that is like a punky brewster you're gonna say punky brewster is not a sitcom i mean i guess maybe you could go by maybe you could go by what's like what kind of network it was on like you know clarissa explains it all was on nickelodeon that was never aimed at adults like but Blossom was on ABC, and that aired during prime time. So yeah, but even even the things that you listed on Nickelodeon that are that you qualified as kids shows, uh, Salute Your Shorts, Clarissa, I would say, Hey Dude is in there. Um, but like though, like I think those are sitcoms. I think they follow. I think they follow the same rules. I mean, it's not like, you know, a studio audience and a laugh track and stuff like that, but I think it's still a situational comedy with yeah, these are your yeah. characters, this is your location, this is your weird stuff that happens. Right, right. So how is it fu- how is that functionally different than Ren and Stimpy? Well, Ren and Stimpy doesn't have a contigu- a contiguous plot like Animaniacs. So it's not a situational comedy, it's more of an anthology. Right. Twilight Zone. Right. Right. You know, you, you've got a different premise, different characters. Ren and Stimpy aren't even really the same characters episode to episode. They're in space. They've got the same um, mannerisms, the same uh, the same character traits. But, you know, they're more like Looney Tunes where they, yeah. they're just tools in different different toolboxes. 
Right, right. Yeah, there's no, there's no, con- uh, there's no character continuity, right? Well, so, but also think about it this way, right? Like, like Clarissa, hey dude, salute your shorts, blossom, any of those things that you talked about, you're gonna have like a set number of locations, a set number of characters, and there, there's gonna be like a situation that ensues, like with something like Rugrats or Ren and Stimpy or something, like. You could have an episode where they, where there's there's miscommunication and there's like funny hijinks or whatever, or you could have one where they're little literally pretending to have an adventure where they fly to the moon or dig through the center of the earth or something like that. You know what I mean? Like something that would not be in a sitcom. But you hmm. can't you can't draw the line there either because what about the Simpsons? They've had some pretty zany episodes, but I think it's pretty solidly in the sitcom in the sitcom camp. Unless you want to just, you could then just carve out that line and say, I'm only going to do live action sitcoms. You could. You could draw a hard line there. Um, and with one or two exceptions where animation meets reality, you, you'd probably have a, an easier go of it. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 it was blowing my mind just thinking of that. And then uh, I think the three, the three big takeaways from this one, uh, from for, thus far, uh, there was a show called Top of the Heap that was a spinoff of Married with Children. That mm, was absolute that. trash. Oh I God, it was that bad. with uh, what's his name from Friends? Yep, yep. Who, yeah, uh, Joey from Friends. That. Who yeah. who did it? Who who was he in Married with Children? Like who did it spin off to? What character did it spin off of? He played he was like Kelly's boyfriend or something for a little while. Yeah, <sighs> in like three or four episodes, and then they gave him his own show because they liked him. Uh, with uh, some other guy who I kind of recognize from like just like B-list sitcom stuff, and then that show. Oh, and you know who else was in it? Was the girl from the girl who plays Amy in Chasing Amy? She's in a couple Kevin Smith movies. I can't think. Joey Lauren Adams. Sure. Um, and the whole big premise of it was like this real uh, inappropriate. Like she was like I don't know, fifteen, and he was supposed to be like twenty-one, and she kept trying to have sex with him, and he kept being like, "You're going to get me in jail." Uh, and like just really didn't land the jokes. And then somehow that show got canceled. And in the same year, in the same year, they managed to get a spinoff of that show where they kept Joey. I'm calling him Joey because whatever that guy's name is. The yeah, actor, he's, the he's Joey. You might as well. Like, the whole world knows him as Joey. Right. Joey and the girl who, who kept trying to have sex with him who was underage, uh, they were like, this, these two, this part's working. So let's, let's <laughs> stick with that. And we'll just replace the other guy with, uh, you know, this other guy. And it'll be his friend who does want to have sex with the girl, but the girl doesn't want to have sex with him. Uh, and yeah, just, just really bad. Not that I'm a huge married with children fan. I could see the value in some of it. Like I get it. Right. I get the uh, for I mean, it was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Sure. To push the envelope in a lot of ways. Sure. No, no argument there. And it definitely had its funny moments. Not my first choice. But this was just like this was just like the worst parts of it spun off and just run amok. It was just just real terrible. Wow. So top of the heap turned into uh, Vinny and Bobby. Vinny and Bobby. There it is. Wow. So that was. Uh, Robert Torty? Who's that guy? Why does he seem familiar? Oh, I've definitely seen this guy around. That's the other guy from Top of the Heap? Uh, he's the other guy from, uh... 
Oh, Vinny, Vinny and Bobby. And Bobby. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Joey Lauren Adams. God, they wrote poor Joey Lauren Adams into that, huh? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. So many of the bad sitcoms from uh, 91 had a lot of star, like there was at least two of them had uh what's her name? Uh, who I liked, uh, Brittany Murphy. Is that her name? The one who died. She was in like Sin oh, yeah, City. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yep. She was in like two or three of these. Um, there was a couple other, uh, uh, Drexel's class had, uh, Jason Biggs and who was the other one? Somebody else, uh, that I was like, oh, that's that kid when he was like nine. Um, so there was, there was a, there was a bunch of star potential. Uh, there was also a Harry and the Hendersons TV show, which I didn't I, even know existed. Oh, I forgot about I that. Do, I remember that. I do remember that. I did not remember that. I never saw it, but I remember finding out that it existed. Thus far, I think that my favorite ones that aired at my top three right now are Herman's Head, which is wonderful, and it has, uh, uh, what's his name? Inside Herman's Head. Yeah, I remember that. A, that was good. It's got a couple Simpsons people. It's got the girl, I can't think of her name, who does the voice for, like, Lisa, and it's got um, Hank yeah, Azaria. Yeah, um, Yardley Smith, is that her name? Yeah, Yardley, Yardley Smith. Yeah, she, so she's great in it, and Hank Azaria is great in everything he, he's ever done, in my opinion. So I enjoyed Herman's Head. Dinosaurs aired that year. I, I got a soft spot in my heart for that show. Um, which right there, that's like, I mean, it's not a cartoon, so I, does that fall into live action? I don't know. But I it's definitely totally call it a sitcom. It's, yeah, it's a sitcom. It's sort of live. It's, it's dead action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Especially after the series finale. Uh, you know what? They, you know, I watched like the first episode and then like the second episode too because I was like, I'm enjoying this. I'm watching another one. Uh, and they said they were making references the whole time about like you know extinction and stuff. I, I guess they didn't know how many episodes they were going to get. They were like, let's keep putting this reference in there. And it's great. Um, Home Improvement started that year. I was never a big fan, but in in watching it compared to the the litany of shows that got canceled after like one or two episodes because they were so horrendous. I'm like, this was pretty good. You put that up against like, you know, Almost Home or the Torkelsons or Hi Honey I'm Home, you're like, yeah, no, you know, they they this this is this is at least coherent writing. You see, you know, like all the jokes make sense. Like there are jokes. The laugh track's not just coming on after somebody says a word and you're like, that wasn't a joke. The Randy was- Quaid show the, there was a Randy Quaid show, uh, Davis Rules. It kept doing that. Like, they would just put the laugh track in after, like, somebody would say something. You're like, that's not a joke. They didn't. That's there was the no... entirety of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched that show. Just shoving, just shoving laugh tracks in where they don't belong. I've seen, it used to come on all the time. They have, like, clips of it play when I worked at GameStop on the, on the, on the, the, the TV thing. They always put clips on it. And it'd just be like some dude would come and be like, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like they just say any, just say a nerdy word and then the audience would freak out. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in life. I hate this with all of my heart. Uh, uh, if, if, well, Sean, I've got some good news for you. Yeah, what do you got? Karen and I started Letterkenny the other day. Did you now? God. We I- did. I did not really know what to expect from that show. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was one of those animated things like Big Mouth or whatever. And I was like, I just don't really want to watch it. And then we pulled it up on the Plex and (laughs) the first few seconds of the first episode had me in tears of just the two hockey dudes rolling up and those two guys making fun of them. 
<laughs> it was hysterical. So we were only about three episodes in, but like that's 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 definitely on the current list right now of things to watch. That's a that that show's outstanding. So thank you for that. So I don't know if you got there yet. There's a very early episode that's just bad. It's the fart book episode. It's not funny. Like it's the first half of it was kind of funny. There were some genuine funny things in the first half of it. And then the second half of the episode was like Yes. <laughs> that's the worst episode they've ever done. They're on like season ten. That's as bad as it gets. And like in Oh, like, that's good. I've rewatched the whole series at least once and like uh like once beyond the first watch. And that episode is just somebody else pointed it out to me uh, early on. They were like, kind of skip that one or just just don't give up because of that one. And and I didn't. I think it was Bonnie. And that, I didn't think it was that bad the first time I watched it. And in rewatching it, the writing on it is like half the quality, in my opinion, of like the writing of all the episodes around it. And I'm not going to say season 10 is as good as season like I think they really hit their stride in like three or four. But I don't think anything's ever been as poorly written as that second one. The jokes are usually faster and funnier than that episode. Uh, it seemed like they gave close. up. It was weird. Like the first, seriously, the first like 10 or so minutes of that episode were good. There was good comedy there. And then it just stopped being funny and it never caught back up again. So I'm glad you said that. I was not going to stop watching it because like the first two episodes had me rolling so much. I was like, all right, this could just be a single miss and then I'll get back to business. But that was definitely a, <laughs> it was a low note to stop watching that night on. But uh, no, nah, that show is freaking great. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Around episode five or six, me and Jacqueline had to stop and look up online what the hell some of the words meant. It's totally worth it. And like, I'm a hockey fan and I didn't know like, especially when the hockey, I don't know if you've met the coach yet. The coach is my favorite character. He might not come into like the end of season one, beginning of season two. No, we haven't met him yet. Uh, the hockey, the two hockey kids have a coach and he's my favorite character on the show. But when they're <laughs> talking with the coach or like it's a, it's a scene about hockey there, I know some hockey lingo, but man, they were just throwing words out. Uh, some of it's because uh, apparently I don't know hockey well enough. And some of it's because Canada hockey is way more serious than ours. Like they have a whole what they call a billet system up in Canada, where it's just normal that like kids go live with other people uh, so that they can play hockey more. Like you just send your kids to like the city and they live with these billet families, like B I L L E T. So like they start talking about billet this and billet that. And I was like, what the hell are they talking about? And apparently this is why Canadians are so much better at hockey than us. They just like give up their children at the age of like, they're like, oh, you're 14. You just go live wherever there's good hockey so that you learn better. So Goodbye, you, son. You, Out into you the go world. off to hockey school? Hockey it's not academy? hockey school, though. You just, like, you live with families that, like, they send them to, like, other cities where, like, they live with this other family because that family is closer to, like, I don't know. Hockey? Hockey? But it's not like hockey school. I don't think it's an education situation. In fact, I think education might be suffering in this transaction. And I don't think the billet family gets paid. I think all of Canada is just like, we need to work together to produce the best hockey players. And we're just going to trust each other with our children. It's a real weird. And you know what? They keep producing the best hockey players. So I guess they're right. You can't argue with the results. You can't yeah. argue with the results. But uh, yeah, so some of the word it, it was worth the uh, the fifteen minute walk down a rabbit hole on Wikipedia to learn all the uh, Letter Kenny slang. All right, all right. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's how I feel about that. I have a couple of I have a couple of other movies that I would love to discuss here real quick. <laughs> sure. Movie because podcast. I did some I did some genuine movie watching this time. Like I always say I'm gonna. Oh, this yeah. time I did. Okay. So between since our last episode, I have now seen both Top Gun movies. Wasn't Whoa. the new one good? It was very good. Yeah. It was not best picture good. It, it, it was still Top Gun. There still wasn't a whole lot of movie going on. I, the flight sequences were amazing. I think I agree with you. I th- I, I think it, I think you're right. It wasn't best picture good. But then I'm kind of like, what was these days? You know? Like, yeah. I mean, we're. <laughs> it's a. I guess the pickings were pretty slim for yeah. best picture this year because like friggin' Avatar was up there too, and I can't imagine that was Shakespeare. But uh, I mean, look, the first Top Gun was great. That was, it was not a good movie, but it was a great movie. It was like, there, nothing happens in that whole goddamn movie. There's <laughs> just nothing going on. It's just excuses to get into planes and fly around. And I was perfectly fine with that. It was just, I, I felt like people had said that to me before, and I thought for sure something's got to be there. Like, the love story was hilarious. There was no, there was no reason for that woman to be interested in Tom Cruise other than he looks like Tom Cruise. And then, like, she just, like, in love with him. It was so bizarre. That movie was so weird, but it was so awesome. Apparently, the reason that she is not um, in the the new movie, the new Top Gun movie, is because um, she aged like a person would yeah, in she, 40 she years, like uh, rather ever. than Tom Cruise, who uh, is a perfectly well-preserved little mummy person. Um, so, uh, that's why they, they cast Jennifer Connelly in the second one, because they wanted, you know, they wanted, uh, good looking people. A little bit more sex appeal. Yeah. And I, I'm never going to say no to more Jennifer Connelly on screen. <laughs> I know that. So, uh, it certainly wasn't a problem for me. Yeah. Um, and like, she was even mentioned in the first movie, I think. So that was kind of, it was, it was kind of something. Yeah, I, um, I I thought I thought it was good. Um, uh, what would you think of? Um, would you think of Val Kilmer? How the whole Val Kilmer? I was thing just was gonna done? mention that that was a that was handled pretty well. I thought so I too. They got him on camera too. Like, granted, that worked a lot. I mean, they never could have pulled that off in context of Willow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't try because. Like having an old general in modern times, that's one thing. But having Mad Mardigan be in that situation i don't think that would have worked at all so that, that i'm glad that that panned out but oh, it was it was pretty good it was, it was it was touching it was more of a movie than the first one but it still wasn't much of a movie but god those flight sequences were fucking awesome yeah the, the when when they first started sort of doing that trick with with val kilmer's character where he's texting with tom cruise and you see the text mm-hmm. come up and it says ice and that there's a lot of communication that's happening um you know not spoken uh i you know like i guess it was good because i felt like his presence was felt even though he was in that one scene um yeah but at first i was kind of like oh, i don't know if this is working but then that i thought that scene was so good and mm-hmm. you know even though even though the what he was writing and the dialogue as written had to do most of the work and he just kind of had to 
sit there passively. I thought that when he finally did speak, it was really powerful. And I'm I'm wondering if they had to like ADR his dialogue or you know, if you know what I mean? Like if if there's some microphone in a sound booth that can make him sound like a whisper, because I know that I saw the the documentary that he made about his his life and all the footage over the years, and like I know that like he's got like an electronic voice box thing, like that's how he has to talk now. Yeah, I don't know either, but I thought it was handled. I thought it was handled really well. It was a very, it was a very cool movie and, and quite a life experience. I'm I'm glad that I have now seen the Top Gun movies, and uh, you know the volleyball scene was really something. The <laughs> uh, beach football scene was really something. It was that was a was a neat little follow-up to the volleyball scene i thought um they it does not compare the video game's not really much of a video game of top gun uh there's 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 not a lot of landing on aircraft carriers and crashing into the ocean uh there wasn't so a lot was a of landing of on aircraft carriers when i played that game either <laughs> That's a good point. there was no like really dramatic refueling while in the air <laughs> that was that was another big part of the top gun video game i played a lot of top gun and top gun 2 on nes and so the differences between the games and the movie were were a bit of a a bit of a letdown, but uh, the the music was pretty badass. Like man, they really they really used that song in the first one. Like that. Uh, besides, like the the, the original theme, the uh, the whole um, the Danger Zone. It's been a while. Yeah, since I Danger watched Zone. It. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. There's uh, they really used that song. Like they paid for it. <laughs> they, they used it. Yeah, they got their money over. And it was effective every goddamn time. <laughs> ah, that was that was a good time. Uh, I also took the time to watch my you pick, Unstoppable, uh, okay. which I guess in in the realm of uh, uh, you know current news situations, it's probably best that we didn't cover spend the episode talking about a movie uh, about a train derailment. That said, uh, it is just as awesome as I remembered it. Karen and I watched it a few nights ago, and it was exactly as good as we remembered it and neither of you guys watched it right no no sorry i I mean i've seen it before but god that movie's great it's so stupid but it's so wonderful yeah you're right yeah made my made my freaking week man karen and i both had like a rough day (laughs) we're like you know what we we need to watch the train movie and i was like i don't know we're both pretty tired but you i I guarantee if this movie's as good as i remember there's no way either of us are falling asleep and like five minutes in we're both riveted like yeah Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Catch that train. <laughs> Get it. God, it's great. Oh, I forgot. Um, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, God, she's playing Ahsoka in the new live action. Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. I forgot she was in that movie, too. Was oh, she, she's great. Was she also unstoppable? Uh, she kept yelling at people like she was. She was like the manager off uh, off duty. It's, it was remarkable how much that movie has in common with Die Hard. It's like, it's the same formula, but with a train instead of terrorists. Mm. It's, like, it's so, it's still like, you know, oh, here's the, here's the, the guys in charge and we're going to, we're going to, no, we're the gruff underdogs we're the street level guys. And we're going to yell at the guys in charge because those guys don't know what they're talking about. We, we play by our own rules and we're going to stop this train how we want to stop it. It's so good. It's so good. I love Unstoppable. I don't know. That analogy is not going to do anything for me unless Reginald Vell Johnson shows up and tries to help stop the train. Well, that's that's like there's it, I wish that would have made it that would have made it flawless. That would have made it like Oscar worthy right there. He showed up. <laughs> but I think that um uh, uh, Rosario Dawson is playing the him character. Oh, you know? OK. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know so what? She's she's, like, yeah, she's, she's, she's smoking hot. Don't get me wrong. But if I got to pick, I'm going with him. <laughs> <laughs> who do I trust to save this train? Who do I trust to save this building? Who do I trust to raise this family and kick this nerd out of his house? <laughs> it's not her. It's not her. <laughs> Again, smoking hot. No doubt. Does a great job in Clerks. But, finally, oh, God, you guys saw Clerks 3, right? I finally yeah. saw Clerks 3. Jesus. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was gutting, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he, he's done that, like, I, what was it? The, uh, uh, the end of that Jane Silent Bob, whatever the last one was called, he kind of pulled Reboot. that sh- Was that what it was called? Reboot? The end of that one, he kind of pulled that shit on me, too. And this one, he was just like, you know, I'm just going to every now and then throw, like, three gut punches at you. Fuck it. Like, yeah. the, the, the pullout scene at the end, I don't know if we shouldn't be spoiling this. I don't know. Well, Spoiler well, alert. Listen, listen. Shit. I don't think we should relitigate uh, Clerks 3, because last time, when I hadn't saw it, you guys talked about it for, like, probably a half hour. So oh, probably we? people oh, right. that are yeah. tuning into this will be like, oh, they're talking about that again? But... um. But yeah, I I did I did really like it. Like I guess like when I when I watch these movies, I I I sort of forget how clunky, you know, Kevin Smith is with sort of the dialogue and the filmmaking and stuff like that. Like I sort of forget how how one thing sort of doesn't feed seamlessly into the next scene that it's like a little bit like clunky and weird and whatever and like for a while i was kind of like oh, i don't know if i'm into this movie but then by the end it just felt like a love letter to the whole you know to the whole series and i was like oh like it it, it kind of choked me up <laughs> yeah. yeah there was a lot of good there but you're right we, we probably shouldn't shouldn't relitigate that one yeah well i guess i'll 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 go last and um again i think i i think this is something that we talked about months and months ago but um i'm i'm back on it uh because when we talked about it months and months ago i was watching this on netflix the first season was on netflix and none of the other seasons um and then finally i was like oh i'm tired of not seeing this so um i got paramount plus and i was like i'm going to watch all these in 7 days while it's free uh and then i was like oh this was impossible and i shouldn't have tried this so um i i I'm paying for Paramount Plus for a month. <laughs> um, but uh, Nate and I are watching the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And now, when, like, only seasons two and three are on Paramount Plus. But when we finish it, I think that I have to buy season four and season five because, like, otherwise, I think my kid won't want to spend time with me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, God, I'm in, I just, it's, it's so good. I think it might. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen any other like cartoons of the turtles other than the, you know, 80s one when we were kids. But I, I think this might easily be my favorite like Ninja Turtles thing. Like it's it just feels like it takes everything that's successful from all the other stuff. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. It's it's freaking phenomenal. I don't know how to describe which one this is. It's whichever one. This is one... The, C- the CG one. Oh, no, no. The, the one I was going to say. The... When Zach was a kid, there was one that he was watching, and I watched with him, and they did this, like, I don't know if it was a movie episode, like, uh, you know, like a special or whatever. But Turtles they... Forever. Is that what it is, where they cross over, and there was, like, the black and white yep. ones, and there was the ones from where we were kids, and they just did it so well 
And like when I was growing up, I watched the one when we were kids, obviously. But my dad was also buying me the Eastman and Lard comic books, which were, you know, kind of dark and gritty. It was more of like a, you know, a, you know, brooding Batman type of turtle. And like, so I kind of grew up with both those images in my head, uh, which mm-hmm. the first movie, the first live action movie did a pretty good job of kind of grabbing the parts that, you know, I don't remember how old we were. 12, I'm going to say 12, 12 year old Sean, 11 year old Sean. I don't remember how old we were, but however old I was, you know, that first movie did a good job of grabbing what I loved from both the gritty one and the the sillier cartoon one and putting them both together and bringing it to life. And I think that's part of what makes that such a great movie. Um, but that cartoon, it was like the gritty one, the one when we were kids, it was whatever Zach was watching. I think it was one or two more versions of them. And they just put them all in and it was such a, it was such a well-blended, uh, well-blended experience. I was like, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. This is, they nailed this. And I mean, they were clearly targeting me because there's a, a touch of nostalgia there, but then there's also a touch of like, I'm showing what I loved as a kid to, you know, the next generation here, right? I got Zach sitting here and he's watching it. And uh, it might've even been Steven. Maybe it was later. Maybe it was Steven. But uh, one of them, when they well, that show kids, went for a long time, that ran from 2003 to 2010. So that was Zach, that Zach time period then. Cause Zach would have been, four to 14 when that aired then so yeah that would have been zach but the uh yeah uh that one i love i haven't seen this 2012 one but so the 2012 one is like is even better than that one really and in fact they did a similar situation um with uh they they had a a mashup with the old cartoon um see and that time they actually got the old cartoon voices to do it uh where in turtles forever they were soundalikes so um, that's what i thought sean was talking about i'm not i'm not to that point in the show yet i haven't got to the point where they have this big crossover thing well there was one there was one kind of nod to it early on where they show that while there's dimension x there's also other dimensions and at one point they look into another dimension which is earth but it was the old 80s tv show um mm-hmm. uh so i i i uh, i've seen a little bit of that and i know that they're going to do that crossover thing at some point um right now we're in the middle of season 3 and the way season 3 started was really awesome because so like the way season 2 ended there was a um there was like a big battle with the krang in new york and like basically like the krang takes over new york and um you know, enslaves all these people and makes them mutants and, like, takes them to Dimension X to to work and stuff to be their slaves. And the Turtles, I think they lose Splinter and they have to, like, get out of the city. Um, And then Season 3 starts at that farmhouse that, you know, April has upstate, like, just like the, the, you know, the 1990s movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And, which is why I think that must be something in one of the comic books because it's been in so many iterations of these turtles properties. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, like a lot of the stuff that they do in the movie, they did in this show, like, you know, splinter sort of appearing to them over the fire and saying like, you know, you guys have to work together and like blah, blah, blah. But the other thing that was crazy about season three, the beginning of season three, when they're at this farmhouse is like, Every other episode has been almost like a like a a a, a nod to a horror movie. Um 
there was one where they f- like the mutagen like creates muckman or something um or i guess it's not muckman but it's like some it's like some like thing that's made out of like swamp goo or whatever and like it i think it is is um giving a nod to like texas chainsaw massacre because it's wearing like overalls and it looks you know it's like wielding a chainsaw and stuff and then i think it's a nod to friday the 13th because at one point it steals casey's hockey mask um (laughs) there was another one that was definitely like a nod to the the thing um because they find the krang spaceship in the basement and there's you know there's that like krang assimilated thing and it grows all the tentacles and stuff just like the thing like like we're we're basically watching things that were like almost like parodies of horror movies, but they were in this turtle show. Like it was, I don't know. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, that show is outstanding. I watched almost all of it, and then I came back for the finale. Um, it's a, it's ridiculous. It's it's my second favorite iteration of the turtles, except behind the current IDW comic, which I still think is the best. And the, of course, the nineteen ninety movie, which is my favorite movie of all time, but uh. Yeah, that that 2012 Ninja Turtles show is phenomenal, and uh, I often think of that's that's where I'm going to show that's what I'm going to show my kids next. But we are still still working our way through Ducktales, and they're really enjoying that. So, yeah, the original or the seasons, new one? So the new one, the new one's great. I've heard the new one's great. I haven't watched it yet. I like this Turtles, this 2012 Turtles show for the same reasons that I like the new Ducktales. Like that, it 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 gives nods to the old stuff. It like defines the characters better, um, you know. Like in the old Ducktales, like Huey, Dewey, and Louie were all voiced by the same person, and like <laughs> yeah. you know, in the new one, like there's much better voice actors, and they all have distinct personalities. I feel mm-hmm. like in the new Turtles show, or you know, it's not new, but in the 2012 Turtles show, they all have really distinct personalities, and even the animation makes them more distinct. Like they don't look like cookie cutter turtles, all with just different headbands like yeah they have different yeah like donatello's got that gap between his teeth and Raphael's got that like jagged thing on his shell and mikey's kind of got those little like turtle freckles like i also love that uh donatello is voiced by rob paulson who voiced raf in the original cartoon oh really great yeah so in that crossover episode there's some there's some good comedy there yeah yeah it's 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 so good and um I also love how the animation kind of like it's a little bit anime and it's a little bit you know it's a little bit just sort of classic animation and then also mm-hmm. like when they have to be sneaky and turn into you know and be ninjas and sneak around like the lighting looks really dim and their eyes narrow their eyes and they are look all, white all cool and stuff yeah yeah so, <laughs> theme song's pretty good too theme oh, song theme, theme song's good. amazing we yeah. sing along every time yeah Ellie started watching that on her own actually uh on her on her tablet because uh, the first season's on Netflix, so she watched pretty much all of season one. So I think she'd be down with watching that watching that again. I'm trying to figure out what the where to go next after Ducktales because like, so <clears throat> we got a big movie moment happening tomorrow. Finally showing Ellie Empire Strikes Back. Mm. So she has no idea the whole Darth Vader thing. She's seen A New Hope a couple of times now. Uh, you know, I showed the kids Episode One. I showed the kids. Uh, that stupid Clone Wars movie, and they've seen me watch a couple things in the background, but she's never seen the Big Vader reveal, and that's like, that's the thing that I've been hardline about keeping a secret for her whole life. It's like nobody, nobody spoil that. Once you get to that point, then we can start watching 
all the Star Wars, Wait, which, you know. Has John already seen it? He has, and he has kept that secret. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. how important it is. Yeah, because let me tell you, with me and my siblings, that if one of us saw that, that's it, it's over. We would have just spoiled <laughs> the hell out of that for each other. Yeah, no, he, he, he wouldn't care about ruining it for her. He just knows how much it beats to me. Okay. <laughs> there that is. Would, he knows that he would get into serious trouble. Like, I, I went through lengths, right? Because every kid's book spoils that. Every kid's book is just like, you know, Daddy Vader and all that stuff. It's like, they're not old enough to have seen this yet. Why are you just saying this shit out loud? It's ridiculous. It's like the five-minute Star Wars stories book. I actually re-edited some. I taped a couple of pages together so that you can't see the thing where they're just like, and then he fought Darth Vader, not knowing that he was his father, and blah, blah, blah. I was like, what are you doing, book? What are you doing? This is stupid. Stop that. And I would, like, you know, white it out a couple of things and rewrote words over it to kind of, like, change it so that it doesn't spoil who Darth Vader is. It's because I'm a lunatic. Chris, but you're, tomorrow... you're amazing. You're a good parent. <laughs> you are a good parent. And, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Tom would probably greatly appreciate it if you would just give him all of your uh, edited Star Wars material. <laughs> no problem. Uh, or at the very least, I can do the same for his. The five-minute Star Wars stories are great. But anyway, so she's going to see that tomorrow. So I was thinking, like, well, then maybe after DuckTales, I start them on, uh, like, Star Wars Rebels, because that's a super fun show. And they're also super interested in seeing The Mandalorian, because they've seen Grogu everywhere, and they think he's adorable. I don't know. But then, like, I go back to, like, well, one of my other favorite things in the world is Ninja Turtles, and that 2012 show is freaking amazing, but it's also pretty long. So, like, I don't know, do I, do I, do I skip right to DuckTales Season 3, or do I start, inter- you know, interspersing a couple of the other things because like there was that new Voltron show that I really liked um I don't know what should I do what should I do after we finish season two of DuckTales I say you get through DuckTales and then you see what's next that's just my two cents I think that's fair I think you take a hard left and go to the 1980s Garfield series (laughs) oh my god right I mean you got to work that in at some point. We just, we actually, I actually just last week watched an episode of Garfield and Friends with Ellie. Did you? Because she found some weird new Garfield show that's on Netflix. Oh. Garf- Garfield yeah. and Friends was, that was the one that was on in the 90s, right? That was, it was, yeah. there was some Garfield stuff and then there was some stuff that was on that farm. Yep, yep, yep. So we watched an episode of that and she thought it was pretty funny because she found this book that Karen had when she was a kid, like a Garfield book from when she was a kid. So we started reading that story time, and then she found a Garfield show on Netflix, and then I was like, all right, you think this is cool? Check out Garfield and Friends. And it was okay. I probably shouldn't have gone back to it. Uh, all, all I can say about Garfield and Friends is uh, our, our freshman year of high school, uh, I lived with Jim Yamaguchi for a month. Uh, it, was while we were, it was while we were all in Evita, while we were, you know, had rehearsals every night, and uh, it was when we moved from my old house to my new house or, you know, the, the, the house that my parents had when we were in high school, when I was in high school. And, uh, like they lived with my grandfather in Hamilton, but I couldn't go back and forth like that because I had rehearsals every night. So I lived with Jim Yamaguchi for a month and he had it worked out that he could watch Garfield and friends four times a day, four times a day. We used to watch Garfield. (laughs) He, He knew that it was on in the morning on like, on like Fox and then like on PHL 17, like right after. And then it was the same thing after school. And we had to watch Garfield and friends four times a day. I mean, I wasn't complaining. It was fine, but like <laughs> this was his system and he had it worked out that we were going to do this four times a day. 
that's why fantastic. that's why that man's an American hero. That's <laughs> true. So the you know, best thing about Garfield, I, uh, I love the show and I love the intro and it look nothing screams Saturday mornings as a child to me like that show. And I know it was a little bit later for us that probably didn't start to like 90, 91, something like that. Um, so we were probably 10 or 11 at that point. So you think I would hearken back to something earlier, but that something about that show, just that is Saturday morning cartoons for me. But what's better than that is the Garfield Halloween special, which that aired since the eighties. Like that was the first thing they put out. There was eventually a, a Thanksgiving special and a Christmas special, and they were fine. Uh, but that Halloween special, if you don't know it, go watch it because it's the be- It's just Garfield. There's no, there's none of those friends from the farm, which I didn't mind, but they weren't as good as Garfield. Uh, it's just Garfield and Odie and John, and it's only like twenty minutes long, and there is nothing. Uh, Chris, if you haven't showed that to your kids, that is the Halloween special. Like. Forget about It's a Pumpkin Charlie Brown or whatever the hell that one was called. Uh, that was like, that was the vegetables you ate while you were waiting for the Garfield Halloween special to start. You're like, all right, I'll sit through Charlie Brown because I got nothing else to do. But by God, Garfield's Halloween special. It I, is I, the best. I think I remember this and I feel like you're right. I think it, I feel like it was really good. It had like four or five great songs. They meet some ghosts. Oh, God, it's so good. And Binky, or Binky the Clown, he's in it too, of course. Yeah. Hey, kids. All right, yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've seen that one. So, oh. yeah, try to remind me around Halloween. Yeah, that's that's the action. I watched it this Halloween. I watch it every Halloween. I don't care how old I get. I don't care if there's a kid around. I'll watch it without a kid. Don't give a damn. Well, guess we should talk about the Untouchables, huh? <laughs> why? Why start now? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, real quick, have you seen the uh, the 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 new promo thing for the Mario movie? A new one? I saw up. I saw, I saw the one everyone was laughing that he didn't have a butt. Okay, all right, all right. This just came out on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh no, no, no! I, and let, I mean, I watched the Super Bowl. So if the commercial aired, I don't think it aired during the Super Bowl. It was kind of a thing that happened around it. Okay, all right. So on Super Bowl Sunday, I cannot freaking believe this. All right, did you guys used to watch the Super Mario Brothers Super Show? Sure. Yeah. All right. I am sending you this link. So on Super Bowl Sunday, they uh, posted on Twitter as the Super Mario Brothers uh, that they launched a new website for their plumbing business. And the commercial that is on here is absolutely insane. Um, I mean, it, if you guys have the ability to click on the link and watch it, I highly recommend doing it because I really want to hear your reactions to it. Like right it's now? super short. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. super short. All right, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, we're the Mario Brothers in plumbing's a game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. When your sink is in trouble, you could call us on the double. We're faster than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Thank you, Super Mario Bros. It seems like the only thing you haven't drained is my bank account. For super service, call or text Super Mario Bros. Plumbing today at 929-55-MARIO. Or reach us on the World Wide Web at smbplumbing.com. So have you called the phone number yet? I have. <laughs> of course you have. Why did I even ask? <laughs> I should have just said, you know, if I had even a, even like a couple hairs on my nutsack, I would have just said, so what happened when you called the phone number, Chris? <laughs> I mean, first of all, I cannot believe that they're using that song from the old Mario cartoon. That Nintendo is even allowing them to do it. But that is absolutely hysterical. 
the woman who's talking in that ad is reportedly the woman who voiced Princess Toadstool in the old cartoon. Oh my gosh. Which is amazing. There are a bunch of wacky hidden things all over this website. Like, um, clicking on different things will get you these, like, different sound effects and things. There are little little hidden sites that you can find. Um, But if you text... uh, Actually, I can bring up the text message. You text them, and it's... um, Thanks for your interest in Super Mario Bros. Plumbing. We're a family-owned and operated business providing white glove plumbing services to Brooklyn and Queens. Please click the link to sign up and get exclusive updates. So, of course, I did. And, like, every couple of days, they'll send me a new movie poster. And they're like, hey, here's a poster with Toad on it. <laughs> so that's great. And when you call, uh, you get a voicemail from uh, Charlie Day's uh, Luigi just, like, talking about, you know, the business and thanks for calling the website and everything. I called. I put it on speakerphone. Both the kids thought it was magic they're like this is great <laughs> thank you for calling super mario brothers plumbing it's me luigi and if you need service please uh, text us at the same number you just call 92955 mario that's 929556 message us about any issues wherever you live house condo mansion and we'll be sure to text you back right away because it's Super Mario Brothers Plumbing. We don't say let's go wait. We say let's go. Oh, and uh, check our website, smbplumbing.com. We're still working on it, so more updates to come. Bye-bye. They are doing everything right with this, and it's freaking me out because, like, the last thing I would do want is for this movie to be terrible, but at the same time, like, everything they've shown me so far has been, like, making me really cautiously optimistic because holy crap, this is great. <laughs> right now they're working real hard to uh reverse death and reanimate Captain Lou Albano. And uh <laughs> just just for you, Chris. And Danny Wells, they're both dead. Don't forget about poor Danny Wells. I didn't know I didn't know I was more familiar with Captain Lou. I didn't know uh, Captain Lou was dead till Paul just spoiled that. Oh man. Stop Let's telling me when famous people die, I'll assume they're alive. <laughs> it's the opposite of your uh, your stance on people that you know in real life. If you don't hear from them, you assume they're dead. <laughs> I would Because you don't expect Gene Hackman to call you. So when he doesn't call, I assume everything is status quo. <laughs> if you stop calling, I assume you're dead. Because it's not status quo. It's a simple system. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you, do you want me to address Hollywood before we start talking about the movie? Oh, do you have do you have a Hollywood address for this week? Uh, I think so. Then absolutely, sir. Get 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 to work. All right. So I think. L- listen, Hollywood. I think this is more of just a. Just a checking to see if you're okay, right? I think I just want to check in and make sure you're all right and that there's no problems. I, I've noticed that you've gone a little bit all in on Jonathan Majors, right? Like, in one month, he is going to destroy us in two different ways. He's going to be Kang, and he's going to be the villain in Creed. And I was like, Hollywood, what are you doing? you got to slow down. On Jonathan Majors. And then I saw a I saw a, a 
picture of him online. Like, I guess he was, like, training for Creed or whatever. Creed 3. And he's, like, drinking a smoothie. And then, like, you could see, like, his bicep. And it's, like, thick as a tree trunk. And it's almost like he's, like, carved out of marble, right? And I was like, wait a minute. Hollywood, did he hurt you? Did he tell you he had to be in these movies? Is he threatening you? So, like, I just... I guess I just want to make sure that Hollywood's okay, and it's not, like, getting kicked around by Jonathan Majors. All right. He's, uh, he's quite the specimen. <laughs> but when I saw him in Loki, he didn't look all that impressive. Like, he was impressive. I thought he was really interesting as Kang in Loki, don't get me wrong. But I didn't think he was all that physically imposing. And then I saw the photo shoot you're talking about. Oh. That man... Yeah, I'm, unnatural. Look, I'm looking it up now. That, that dude, way jacked. Yeah, I didn't really know him, uh, and then I saw him in Kang, or I saw him as Kang and Loki. He, I mean, I guess he's clothed the whole time in some pretty thick. Uh, yeah, yeah. Garb. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, oh no. Yeah, no, that's not. Some people's muscles don't line up right, and it's just. Like, <laughs> it's not like even when I was in shape, I didn't have that muscle. What the fuck muscle is that? Yeah, he's he's too jacked. He's yeah. he's he's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Well, listen, if if anything's wrong, Hollywood, I don't I don't think I can do anything. But I guess if you need to talk, <laughs> I'm here. All right. That's I certainly my, am not going to protect offer. you from him. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right, that's Probably it, Chris. Sure. That's what I got. That's my Hollywood address. <laughs> Okay, well, then let's get to work talking about the untouchables. Let's see here. Um, The untouchables, right? Did I do this right? I did. I just forgot to change that. Was a poem written by William Shakespeare in 1493. (laughs) It was adapted into a movie in the 1920s that uh, perfectly encapsulated what Shakespeare had intended when he first wrote the verses. Uh, he suggested that a man named Sean Connery play the lead role, and <laughs> he actually foresaw the, the invention of the Tommy gun, not unlike uh, Leonardo da Vinci and the helicopter. Have you found your stuff yet? Am I still stalling? What is happening? No, I'm ready, when, I'm ready whenever. I just want to see how far you'd go. Oh, for God's sake, take it away. <laughs> the Untouchables was released on June 2nd, 1987 was distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was directed by Brian De Palma with screenplay by David Mamet. The film is based on the book The Untouchables by Elliot Ness and Oscar Fraley. Brian De Palma's other works include Carrie, Scarface, and Mission Impossible. David Mamet is known for various stage plays and screenplays including The Postman, Always Rings Twice, Wag the Dog, and one of my personal favorites, State in Maine. The movie stars Kevin Costner, Charles Martin Smith, Andy Garcia, Robert De Niro, and Sean Connery tells the story of a bunch of cops who pretend they don't drink, walking around with very large guns in an effort to stop a gangster who doesn't care how many people know he like he likes to drink. Uh, I watched this with uh, with Karen and Greg via nefarious means. I had a glass of chocolate milk. Greg had Reese's Big Cup with pretzel. He wanted to get the potato chip ones, but he couldn't find them. And as a side note, I didn't eat them during the movie, but there are new barbecue-flavored Doritos, and they are freaking fantastic. Oh, shit. I did not know about the Doritos. Oh, they're good. 
I watched this. Uh, I paid. I paid YouTube. It wasn't nefarious at all. I was like, here, YouTube, you could have two dollars. I think it was two ninety nine. I don't know what it was. YouTube just had it, but they were like, you got to give us a little money. I was like, that's fair. I own this movie on both VHS and DVD, but uh, but you paid YouTube. Those, <laughs> but I paid YouTube because both of those objects aren't in my apartment. Uh, I believe the DVD, my DVD collection, is in my parents' house maybe and my vhs collection is probably in my little sister's house i don't have half my crap because i have a little apartment uh so yeah i i paid i, I gave youtube there there a couple bucks they serve me well that that's where i watch most of those 1991 tv shows so they deserve a few bucks and uh i didn't eat anything because we were at a junk food and at some point you just you're looking in the fridge and you're like hummus apples i don't think so I'm just going to drink. Uh, <laughs> so I had some, some whiskey because, you know, Prohibition movie. They were, oh, they right, were right. Karen whiskey. and Greg both drank, uh, I think, whiskey during the movie. Yeah, that's appropriate. It's apropos. Uh, and yeah, uh, I wasn't, I just couldn't with the health food. It's just, it's just, it's, come on, come on. All right. That's, Paul, what do you got? All right. Well, you get, get ready to judge me. I think you guys are going to judge me pretty hard. Um, so uh, I watched this movie with Nate. <laughs> I, I let him watch this movie. Uh, basically, over the weekend, uh, Sherry was at work. Uh, Nate and I were home together all weekend. We found stuff to do. Um, but at a certain point, uh, you know, when we had watched a lot of Ninja Turtles and I was like sort of done watching Ninja Turtles for the day, I was like, I want to watch a movie. And I was like, well, I have to watch this for the podcast anyway. Like, maybe we can just watch it together. And I, I sort of looked online, and I was like, what is the stuff that's questionable? Um, you know, and of course, uh, I think the big thing it cited was the, um, you know, the scene where Robert De Niro uh, beats the guy with the baseball bat. Um, but I, I kind of remembered a lot of the other stuff, and I was like, I think I can just sort of prepare him for this. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch this with him. So I was like, Nate, do you want to watch a movie with me for the podcast? So, of course, he was like, yes, because he thinks it's, like, super cool that we do this podcast, even though he doesn't, you know, listen to it or know what it is, right? So, he's like, yeah, I want to watch it. He's like, what's the movie? And I was like, it's called The Untouchables. And he's like, that sounds great. And I was like, do you know what it's about? And he goes, is it about a guy that you can't touch? And if you touch him, he'll explode? <laughs> and i was like nope that's not what it's about at all and he's but that's like, the well, movie i want to watch next <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like well what's it about and i was like it's about elliot ness and he is a federal agent and he forms a team to uh stop al capone who was the biggest gangster at the time and he's like well all right i guess <laughs> it's not that other thing and i was like yeah okay so, uh, yeah, we watched it together. Um, I had to pause it a lot and explain certain things. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was with it the whole way. And we ate peanut butter and banana sandwiches and pretzels. Wow. Elvis Presley style. I like it. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I was about, what, what, how old is he? Is he 11? Yeah, he'll be 11 in April. Yeah, I was, I was about his age when I watched this movie. I probably, I probably saw it on TV, so I probably saw an edited version. Um, but I, I think I might have even been a little younger than him when I saw it. Um, well, I don't so, know how they edited it, but you know, honestly, um, I, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I guess we, we jump right in and talk about it, but like, uh, I, you know, I thought the, 
I thought the scene that was going to be most questionable and most problematic was the was the the scene with Capone. Um, and when we got to that scene, like you know, it starts. I, I kind of remembered the scene, and like you know, it's in that elaborate hotel, that fancy hotel that he's living in. Um, the ridiculously large table. Yeah, and so it you know it goes into this this um, you know lavish ballroom or whatever where he's meeting with all these other. Uh, you know, organized crime folk. Uh, and I pause it, and I was like, I was like, Nate, this this part's gonna be a little scary. You know, I just want you to be prepared for what's happening. And I, I kid you not, this is what happened, right? I pause it, I say that to him. This is gonna be a little scary. And he looks at me and he goes, "Is he gonna beat somebody with a baseball bat?" <laughs> and I was like, "How did how did you know that?" And he was like, "Well." For my MTSS reading, we learned about Al Capone, and I found out that he invited people to his uh, to his parties that double-crossed him, and then he would make an example of them with a baseball bat. And I was like, all right, then you're prepared for this. <laughs> that was his, that. His what reading? Was this school reading? Yeah, this was like a school reading assignment thing. Um, Wild. So... Yeah, apparently they learned about Al Capone, so he already knew about that. Um, the scene that he was a little troubled by, and I didn't even remember this; it wasn't even on my radar. Sean Connery. What? No, uh, it was the not with Connery. The scene where um, uh, there's that guy posing as a cop in the elevator when the uh, um, when the uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the accountant guy goes down with the okay. um, the the um, informant that they have. Uh, that was like, that was just a little violent with him being shot in the head and, um, you know, and then seeing the bodies. So like, he kind of like cringed and I was like, Ooh, like I didn't even remember that was there. But other than that, it was actually kind of a, but it wasn't, it wasn't really a troubling movie for a 11 year old. I thought I'm just, I'm just think it's cool that he stuck with it. Cause you know, it was a little dry and as far as like, <laughs> coming off of Ninja Turtles, you know? But, uh, <laughs> I guess he was just waiting for somebody to explode when you touch them, so. <laughs> well, you know, that little girl blew up right early in the movie, so. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I, the, the Sean Connery scene, it was, it was hard to take seriously because he got hit by at least half a dozen bullets in the front and then he turned around and got hit by another, like, ten bullets in the back, and dude was still alive. <laughs> but you know what, though? I think that was, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think that was sort of accurate to, like, what the Tommy gun did. Like, I think it fired a lot of bullets really fast, but, like, a lot of them didn't necessarily, like, go through you or, you know, that it, it unless it... You know, unless it hit you in the heart or in the head or something, that you were just riddled with bullets slowly, you know, bleeding to death. Like, I I, I feel like I've seen that in other, you know, uh, uh, 30s gangster movie type things. Hmm. Yeah, I think, so, I think reality might be unbelievable in that, uh, like, like, you can just have these, like, and not like, 
you know, any second now I'm going to say a whole sentence. I think you can have scenarios where people are ridiculously injured and they go on for ridiculously long periods of time. You're like, this is upsetting and doesn't seem real. But it's like, I think maybe that is real a lot of times. And it's, uh, we don't want to think about it that way. We like to believe that, like, you know, if you get cut in half, you're instantly dead. But you're not. If you get cut clean in half you're probably alive for like five minutes just in a terrible situation, right? (laughs) Before you finally have enough blood loss to the brain that you stop, you know? So I would just assume at that point you'd pass out from pain or shock, you know? You want to think you would, but I think a lot of times people don't. I think the, uh, the wildly graphic nature of this and then him dragging himself, I think it's... While our brains want to say no, I think it's totally plausible. Like that scene in Hannibal that really ruined the movie for me where he's eating the guy's brain and he's still awake. And then like, it just seemed like, it seemed like a cartoon to me. Like it just ended that movie for me. And then like, I found out later, it was like, no, that basically, like they do brains. Like I found out later, they they did open, uh, open skull brain surgery on my grandfather with him awake because they wanted to talk to him as they were like pulling pieces of his brain out to like you know make sure they weren't pulling out something that was important or something you know like they'll do that you can just have the top of your head off and they can keep they, talking to you like that's an option back <laughs> yeah, what like, if they pulled out something that was important was he gonna tell him and be like no put that back i don't i don't know but they talked to him <laughs> during the process you met poppy it was clear that you know was, yeah, come on hey come on but the uh yeah so like there's just certain things that like and i think that's one of those situations paul's kind of right like if you don't hit a heart uh and you don't hit the you know if you don't hit something really important, you could have a lot of holes in you. You're losing a lot of blood, but I don't know. Just bleeding out's going to take a while. It just seemed to me that it seemed to me really implausible with the sheer quantity of bullets that went into that man for as long as they did that nothing vital was hit. I mean, I buy that he was angry enough to stay alive <laughs> just out of anger. It was just a. It's it struck me as a bit odd, but uh, that man was indeed a bullet sponge. Indeed, indeed. It was uh, so so this movie. Um, I Kevin Costner is certainly an actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he does say lines. He's just he's very Kevin Costner, and everybody else in this movie was great. And not that Kevin Costner was bad, but like. Everything I see Kevin Costner in, he's exactly the same. Well, you know what? Here, so here's what I have to say. Uh, I like. I hate to be the guy that like raves about the movie again because like I feel like I did that last month. But then again, the movie we watched last month, I could have literally not watched it and then gone onto the podcast and still have been as animated as if I did. Um, this movie I haven't seen for like 20 years. Like I think I watched it. I think I probably watched it like when I was in college and I like I remember I remember liking it. I remember thinking it was a good movie. I think a lot of I think a lot of the big the big moments I remembered and sort of the big action set pieces, you know, the big things that sort of fed into the next the um the the raid that they did in Canada at the border, you know, I remembered that pretty well. The 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 boardroom scene with Capone, the um the uh you know, the the thing in the train station at the end of the movie, there was a lot of stuff I remembered. 
Um, but like honestly, when this when this movie started, I was kind of like, all right, like what am I in for? And then at a certain point, I think it was when they were, I think, I think it was when they were doing the raid. Um, you know, that, that first raid where he's like, you know, there's Canadian whiskey in here, boys, you know, and they, they bust open the boxes and it's like little umbrellas and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, I was like, wow, like the, like the costumes and like the lighting and the production design seem like really spot on. Like it just like, you know, how sometimes you watch a movie in the eighties or nineties and it's about something decades before, you know, it's about the thirties or the 1800s or something, but it still feels like it's the nineties, you know, like, like, um, you watch like that, that, like, uh, like, I don't know, like, um, like, like Robin hood, which Costner was in, or, um, that like three Musketeers movie or something from the nineties. And like, it sort of just feels a little bit nineties. Like mm-hmm. I thought this really felt like period. And I was like, damn, like this movie has a lot of like really great production design stuff working for it. And it's got David Mamet and Brian De Palma, you know, and then the next scene when it started was that scene with Costner and um, and uh, uh, Sean Connery on the bridge talking. And I was like, Jesus, Connery is amazing in this, you know, and I was like, God, this is a really good movie, you know, and. When and since Sherry didn't watch it with me, which I felt like I was sparing her, you know, the 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 Connery that or sorry, the um the Costner, which she dislikes, um, she was like, So you thought it was a good movie, even with Kevin Costner? And I was like, you know what? Costner didn't have to do a lot. Like he just had to be kind of a square jawed do gooder, and everybody else got to do the heavy lifting. And I think mm-hmm. that's what made the movie good. Yeah, it didn't necessarily bother me, him just being Costner. It was just, again, remarkable to see him being like, yep, that is that is Kevin Costner. Super young Kevin Costner, too. He's a, he's a handsome young man, that's for sure. So I'll, um, I'll agree that Costner is very much Costner in most things I see him in. Now, that being said, he's in a lot of movies that I love. Uh, Field of Dreams is one of my favorite sports movies. That's, you know, top five uh, positioning there. And... This movie I absolutely adore. I love The Untouchables. Again, top five crime movies of all time, in my opinion. Uh, it's uh, You're probably right, but I can think of lots of actors like that. Like I don't know that I've ever seen Nicolas Cage not be Nicolas Cage. And you could say he's a terrible actor, but you know what? I freaking love The Rock. He's great in it. Uh, he, it's, not, it's not that the movie's great despite him. The, he's great in it. It's it's perfect. Is he any different than he is in every other movie he's in? No. Is Kevin Costner the same person this in this as he is in Robin Hood as he is in Field of Dreams? Probably. But you know what? Field of Dreams is great. That was you know, uh, you know, if you made Kevin Costner the main guy in Die Hard, would that work? No, it would not work because he'd still be Kevin Costner, and that's not the right person for that. But in this movie, when he's supposed to be like Paul said, playing the straight man, the nineteen twenties. You know, do-gooder cop, straight edge, you know, won't take a drink, unlike everybody else who has depth and character around him. I mean, that's perfect. He's the G-Man. He is the quintessential G-Man. So, yeah, 
I, I think we're going to be in the same boat as we were last time, where me and Paul are like, this is one of the greatest movies ever. I love the thing. love Untouchables. And Chris is like, this isn't my type of movie. Shut no, up. I thought it was fucking great. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I, didn't want I, I really liked it. I, I the, only, the only complaint I didn't, the only complaint I kind of have was I felt like it didn't, it fell apart a little bit at the end for me. I feel like they just didn't stick the landing. Um, cause I was genuinely into this the entire time up until, um, the, I think it was the airport scene. The thing with the baby carriage was, the, I think the train just, station, the train, train station. station yeah. yeah. That the, the baby carriage was too much. I know it was an homage to that, that classic thing from the, what was it? The thirties. I think, um, it was just like, it was too much. It was too much focus on the baby carriage. It was too much slow motion. It was way too many shots of him looking over that railing down at the baby carriage. And like, I'm looking at this, like, what is going on here? Are you going to go help her or not? Are you going to go help her? Are you looking at it? Is the point of this scene that he is looking at the carriage and is being distracted and he just doesn't see who he's supposed to see? Like, like what's going on? And then the whole shootout starts and it's like super slow motion. and it starts with the right amount of tension and it ends with the perfect amount of tension where like the word Andy Garcia takes the shot. Like that's great. There's great. But like all that in between with the, the slowly bouncing down the stairs and slowly dragging up the stairs. It was like, it was, it was ridiculous. And, uh, and then just kind of going from that to the court scene, it like, again, it just kind of felt like it is something about the ending of the movie just felt kind of messy to me. It didn't really stick with me. Like I was pretty well riveted throughout the whole thing up to that point. Like it was just the very end of the movie. It was like, it just, just didn't quite grab me. And movies tended to end a lot more abruptly back then. Like movies just kind of stopped. Like they finished telling their story and was like the end. Yeah. You think about like the end of the karate kid, like that's it. He wins the tournament. Here's the credits. Like it, that happens so much in older movies, especially from like the, the mid to late eighties, I think. And this, I kind of felt had a similar thing. Like, I guess I just wanted a little bit more out of it and it to feel a little bit more cohesive. And, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is just that, that, chunk of the end of the movie was like a bit much and like where he I didn't know how I was supposed to feel about him killing I keep calling the guy John Bly because that's the character he played on Briscoe County Jr. but when he the, the dude in the white suit where he threw him off the building like I really didn't know how I was supposed to feel about that well like, the guy did kill his friend you know like he did and then he just like murdered him and like there was a lot there was a lot of this movie that was like i'm not sure how I'm, how i should feel about this like prohibition's bad like these guys are i i don't want to be rooting for the cops in this i don't want to be rooting for you know de niro either but i don't really want to be rooting for the cops in this scenario and then they're just like waltzing into the post office with a bunch of shotguns like they're just <laughs> they are open carrying everyone i guess that's just the way shit was back then i i mean i don't know i'm not from then but wow they were just had zero qualms about walking around with the most loaded guns imaginable <laughs> so <laughs> like so you got good they thought his kid was he thought his kid was kidnapped and he's just like He's got the finger on the trigger, hugging the kid like super close. I'm like, dude, put the gun down, huh? Could you could you not 
just get get away from the kid's head, please, for a minute. <laughs> so you got a lot there so about the ending stuff. You're right. Eighties movies, uh, you know, there was lots of abrupt endings. But really, I I think if you go back earlier than the eighties, you go back to like a lot of those black and white. At least a lot of the the stuff I watched, it's black and white. A lot of the sci-fi and horror, that stuff, like. All of a sudden, you know, the universal planet's up there and the plane's flying like the end. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa, what just happened? They like, (laughs) it wasn't like, at least in the 80s, they ended it and then instantly rolled the credits. I feel like in like the 60s, they would like be in the middle of ending it and just start rolling the credits. You're like, whoa, 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 we didn't finish. (laughs) So, and I did realize that last night when I was watching it, I was like, you know what, this, uh," because you know what, there was like, uh, I think, uh. I was probably like an hour and a half in and I, I looked at the timer on it or whatever. Uh, and I saw that there was a half hour left and I was like, or maybe even 40 minutes left. And I was like, wait a second, we're about to do the Sean Connery scene. And then they do the, the, the train scene. And then they do the courtroom scene. How do we still have 40 minutes? And those are the only three scenes I can think of. Um, and, I, and I understand what you're saying about the, the, the stairs and the train. Uh, it is, it is very drawn out. It is paying homage to the older film. Uh, I, you know, there's something to tip in your hat for the old people, uh, for the, you know, the ones that came before it. I get that. I feel like the Sean Connery scene was paced well. I feel like the train scene, I know, I, I do understand what you're saying. And now that you're saying it, I can kind of see it. But I think that slowing it down, they were trying to build that tension. And I get that. And then capping it off with that great Andy Garcia moment. Uh, I think it makes that moment better because the whole, the whole scene up to that point is so drawn out. And then the bad guy is counting. He says one, two, and not only does he, he says, I'm only going to count to five, which is a weird number. Like everyone counts to three. Why are you going to five? This is weird. Uh, so he, he says one and then Costner's like, you got him. And Garcia's like, I got him. And then if they had let him say two and Costner had said taken, that would have been abrupt, right? Because you're like, he was going to five, right? You shot him early. But they just dragged everything out before it so much and made everything go so excruciatingly slow that that would have made it seem really fast if he had gone after two. But they didn't even go after two. He started to say the word two. It was like two, take him, boom, done. So I think by dragging everything out so much, it, it overly punctuated the abruptness of that maneuver, which one is cool and badass and everybody loves that. But two, the very next shot is Garcia's still got the gun pointed and you see the bookkeeper start crying. And I think it really drove home the point of the horror to the average person. It's like you thought the bad guys were dangerous, but the good guys will fucking kill you too. So you're screwed, buddy. Don't get me wrong. I have no sympathy for the bookkeeper. He's the bad guy, right? But it, it, puts, it puts that guy in this position where he would testify against Al Capone, who he knows will beat someone to death with a baseball bat, because it's like, well, these fucking guys will kill me too, right? So why won't, well, I might as well testify. They got the gun pointed at me right now, which you could say is unjust or not right or whatever, but that doesn't matter. This is cool. Um, but then after that, the, the very last scene I thought was unnecessary. I like that Andy Garcia got uh, Connery's thing or whatever, but like after that courtroom scene, they could have just ended the movie there. There was like another five, six minutes of like him cleaning out his office. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what was, what was that? Why do I, why, why was this here? 
Well, you you got you guys both just said a lot of things, and um, I think that honestly, I think that a lot of the stuff that you guys have as criticisms is the stuff that really worked for me. Um, uh, so you know, Chris talked a little bit about the about throwing that that one guy off the roof. You know, the guy that killed Connery, and and Again, also that wasn't that wasn't a complaint. That was that was a genuine. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel in this moment which I thought was interesting. That wasn't meant to, to come off as like, this is stupid. I shouldn't feel this way. I thought it was an interesting scene because I really didn't know how I was supposed to feel about what he just did. Like the movie seemed to be framing it. Like he, uh, this was a badass moment where he just got revenge. But like on the other side of it, everything up to this point has been such a thing about him not crossing that Ill- line of illegality. And he just straight up murdered the dude. Well, th- like, I think I think for me it all boiled down to to Connery, you know, the um the Connery's character and the the stuff that he said and sort of the the influence that he had over the group and the sacrifice that he made, you know, I mean like he had to struggle to stay alive um you know, to then uh tell them Right, he had to tell them where where um what tra- the, uh, the 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 yeah the train bookie guy that right he was like he's getting on this train the bookkeeper right right on right this train. um yeah. you know I mean like 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 he he Connery made it his mission to to take this so it's weird that I keep saying Connery instead of the character's name uh, Malone um you know made it his mission to make this plan succeed and early on in the movie. Like, before he signs on with them, he has to have that scene where he's like, what are you prepared to do? Like, not not what's your plan, how far are you prepared to go, and what are you prepared to do? Because he's not going to play by the rules. Um, uh, I mean, there you know, there's so many iconic lines just in that scene. The whole thing about, you know, if he... If he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. If he puts one of your men in the hospital, put one of his in the morgue, you know? And I think most of the movie, you're seeing, you're seeing, uh, uh, Costner, you know, do the, do the straight lace thing and be the stand up guy. Uh, even, even though some of this stuff felt like the wild west when they're in the twenties, you know, riding around with, with guns hanging out the window, um, or the thirties rather. Uh, but you know, I think that moment was one of those, like, this is where I'm prepared to bend the rules so that we win. You know, here's, here's the, here's the places where I have to get down and play dirty so that, um, so that, that we come out on top of this. And then. You know, the other thing is, like, I thought, I, I, I guess I thought the, the way the whole thing was framed, including the very end, because I think what you're forgetting, I, I think the last scene of the movie was somebody says to him, hey, prohibition has do? been repealed, yeah. what are you going to do? And he goes, I guess I'll have a drink. Um, I mean, I loved that that was, that that was sort of a through line of the movie, that like, he had to he had to make a speech to the police officers and say listen i know this is a joke to you and a lot of you drink but this is the law of the land and this is what we have to do if we're going to come out on top you know or um or the the accountant guy uh you know taking a swig of the whiskey 
after you know he he like <laughs> fired on that guy and you know like you you can see this was not his his uh th- this was not where he came from in life and the fact that like he's part of this you know squad of lawmen and that he just like you Killed know like three or four people yeah you know that it was like this rush that he was like i'm gonna take a drink you know and i i i I love the whole way that all of the the um alcohol and prohibition stuff was framed in the movie because I I just think it is probably really accurate to what it was like. Agreed. Most of the cops uh in Chicago and New York in that time period were certainly Irish. That's uh that stereotype uh, it's a stereotype but it's also a fact. Like those those that job was I mean even to this day it's it's heavily an Irish job uh in in cities and the uh yeah they were all drinking whiskey the, i mean <laughs> that absolutely when when connery's taking the whiskey bottle out of the stove like uh you know i, I had lots of family that was you know alive during that time and they, they yeah they were all drinking whiskey that's how that was uh i don't think i don't i don't think it matters don't think it matters that Costner's stance at the end on, on, on whiskey or drinking rather is that, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll have a drink. Uh, I think that was reiterating the point that it was just about following the rules. And I, I think maybe throwing the guy off the roof was important only because it starts to show you that bend in the character arc. Cause I mean, the next scene in my, in my head is way more questionable, like throwing the guy off the roof that seems more questionable and maybe I messed up, but the next scene he's blackmailing a judge, right? That seems way more questionable to me. Like you can kill somebody who's trying to kill a cop, right? So he got to this guy after the cop was already killed, but he just admitted that he did it. So like, should he do that? No. Is it wrong? Sure. It's probably way wronger, way more wrong to blackmail a judge who didn't do anything wrong that you're aware of, right? Wait, like I I might have I might have missed that. Did did he blackmail the judge or did he just did he just take a gamble on who he thought that judge's name was in the ledger and he turned out to be right? That's that's how I interpreted that's it. That's how I read it. I read that he was he didn't necessarily he knew that the judge was on the take. He he just took a gamble think, on whether or not he was able to prove it. What do you think blackmail is? <laughs> like, he basically said to the judge, you're in the ledger. If you don't find a way and, and Capone is, Capone is, you know, bribe the jury. If you don't fix this, I'm going to show everybody that you're in the ledger. So the oh. judge did something that's completely illegal, by the way. And I'm sure this didn't happen in real life. But... You can't just switch juries like that's not legal. And that's and Capone's jumping up and down about this isn't right. This isn't right. So the only reason the judge did that in the movie is because Elliot Ness threatened to out him as corrupt. Now, it turns out Ness was right and he was corrupt because if he wasn't corrupt, he wouldn't have gone for that. Right. He wouldn't have uh, he wouldn't have thought he was in the ledger. Right. He would have been like, I'm not in the ledger. I've never taken a bribe in my life. Right. Like if you know you're. If you know you're in the clear, you're in the clear. Uh, so yeah, he took a gamble on whether or not that guy actually was in the ledger, but that's blackmail. Like he he told the judge, "I'm I'm going to out you if you don't fix this." I I I didn't I don't really 
maybe this is me being weird, but I don't really think that that's blackmail. I think that that was sort of writing the wrong, writing the mistake. Like, I think blackmail would be like, hey, I got these pictures of you and your wife doing weird, freaky stuff with a sheep. You know, like, I'm going to show everybody. Like, I think the don't, don't, him being don't on the take and then saying, I know you're on the take, like, is correcting the 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 wrong that was already in the in play oh i agree (laughs) that doesn't make it not blackmail murder's murder even when you're killing someone who's a like if you shoot whatever i don't know hitler right and he's you know whatever you still murdered him i'm not saying it's not right but it's still murder right like we have definition and this is the lawyer in me coming out right so like was he justified in doing this blackmail? Sure. I'm on his side. Do it again, Sam. Let's run it back. But is it still blackmail? Yeah, it's still blackmail. He threatened. He was like, I'm going to expose you if you don't do this thing. That's blackmail. Justified? Sure. Righteous? Why not? I'm on board. Let's shoot Hitler. You know? Fuck it. Which is what made them the untouchables. That they were right. prepared to do. That they were prepared to hit him where it hurts. Oh man, and that—that's just the when you said that that they're the untouchables. It reminded me of a couple of times where I was like, sort of in my head making fun of the movie, and then the movie made the same joke, and I realized it wasn't all that funny. Like, (laughs) uh, with the little girl in the beginning with the bag, it's like, man, I wonder if that that bag's probably got a bomb in it. She's gonna blow up. Oh shit! (laughs) (laughs) And then later, when like the the they killed the guy in the elevator, I was just like. Well, I guess they aren't so untouchable after all. And then, like, the dude had it written in blood on the wall. It's like, oh, damn. (laughs) The movie's just going to outdark your jokes. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, just very, very well-written, well-written movie there. Yeah, what did he, he he wrote touchable in blood, right? Touchable, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I really liked it. I, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a very good movie. Yeah. The uh, the the only the other other gripe I had besides the ending was the um the soundtrack. Uh, you had mentioned movies feeling like products of their time, or like they they felt like '90s movies, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and stuff like that. Um, I think the only I also remarked at how uh in what's the immersive the uh the effect of it being a period piece was, especially considering when this movie was made. I, I thought that was very impressively done. Um, the only po- portion that this movie really shows its age, I thought, was in the score that sounded very much 80s. Like, it didn't sound as... It didn't sound as classical as it could have, and I think a lot of it had to do with the instruments that they chose to, to, to uh, perform the score in a lot of those instances. I don't have any of them written down. Once or um, twice. It just it's struck me as a couple of times. It's like, the music's not quite right here. The music's, it, you're, you're not matching what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, like with the acting and everything. It's just everything's spot on, except the music just feels a little off. So I think you're probably right, because once or twice the music was so spot on that it caught my attention. So I actually had the opposite experience of you, but the fact that I noticed how spot on the music was at one or two points suggests to me that maybe at all the other points you're correct and it was a little more 1980s sounding. Mm-hmm. There was the scene when uh, Connery's getting shot up and you've, you've got it transposed with uh, uh, Capone's in the, the opera or whatever. So you've got opera right. music going. 
And then there's the scene right before the baseball bat, like when they're in the hotel, it's got like a, uh, a 1920s style, like uh big band or jazz type music going and the, the trombones uh, a little bit over the top. Uh, but it very much drew me into the time period. It felt like, you know, you should have flappers, you know, going or whatever. Right. So like those, those two times specifically, it really drew me into the time period. So the rest of the movie probably didn't with the score. And the opening mm-hmm. score, though I love it, was very 1980s, almost into the 1990s. It felt like a, um, uh, it just had that uh, 80s, 90s kind of uh, big budget summer blockbuster music feel, that opening bit, which... I almost don't mean it. I, I don't mean it as a, a, a negative. I thought it was, it's very, uh, it was very uh, predecessor to Terminator 2, like almost that dun 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 dun. Like it was, it was very big mm. and very, uh, if I'm sitting in the movie theater watching a summer blockbuster, that's, that's the music for it. But it wasn't on point for the period. It was yeah. more uh, on point for being a summer blockbuster, which I I assume this is what 1987 had to offer as a summer blockbuster. Um, I mean, it's it's big action. It's a bunch of big stars. Uh, I don't actually know what month it came out, but um, it was June. Yeah, so that's yeah. Uh, I like the score, but you're right. Most of it probably didn't immerse you in the time period. Really, I, I I thought this was great. It was a it was a really good movie. I'm probably not going to go back to it all that often because you know often do I have to rewatch things that aren't Star Wars. But uh, I'm really glad I saw this. So this was a solid pick. Paul yeah. had mentioned something about the, oh, the Old West. You were like it. It almost felt like the Old West. And like I don't know what time period it is that the crossover occurs. I'm I'm going to guess it's around this time period. And maybe it's just the fact that there's cars instead of horses around. But this is closer, this time period, like the, what is this, late 20s, early 30s? When was Prohibition? It was like... It was the 30s. It was the 30s? All right. I think, yeah. Uh, that's closer to the Old West than it is to today. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think of the Old West, you're talking about like, what, the 1860s, the 1870s, right? Because you're not talking about 1776. We weren't out West when, you know... Or if we were, it certainly wasn't towns, right? That's George Washington time. When you're thinking of like Tombstone, right? You're talking about the late 1800s, right? Uh, this is the 1930s. This is 50 years after the Old West. We're 90 years after the 1930s. Yeah. Right? So like when we look at this and you're like, it almost felt like the Old West. Well, it was a hell of a lot closer to being the Old West than it was to being today. And I think just seeing cars makes everything feel modern. But... I mean, you know, cars had only been around, you know, what? I think we invented the cars in like the early 1900s. I say we. Yeah, I'm taking yeah, credit like, for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was involved. Like years, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it uh, it very much was the old west. Uh, yeah. yeah. I I wrote down a lot of good notes about this movie, but I wrote them down on the back of a paper plate that I ate a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> off. Um, so I don't I don't have my notes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess trying to to think back and remember some of the stuff I said. Um, well, so one thing one thing I I liked all the characters. I loved all the characters. I mean, uh, I guess barring uh, uh, Costner, but you know. I, uh, I I think just like Sean said, like he 
he did what he had to do in this and it was what we needed for the movie like it was the right role for him um uh but um the guy that played the accountant uh was that guy's name wallace uh he uh, one thing i loved about him was the way that they made the joke about it when he's first introduced to the team, you know, that he's like, Oh yeah, the treasury department sent me down, you know? And, and like, and Elliot Ness is going to get him on cat tax evasions. Like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Elliot Ness is so happy to have, you know, uh, somebody that the government sent and it's like, Oh, what do you do? You know? And then it's like, I'm an accountant, you know? And yeah, the whole thing about tax evasion and that they all thought it was so laughable that then I was like, well, how how are we going to get anybody on board with this? Like, if no one will take him seriously, how will we? How will this even happen? Um, and I I just sort of loved the slow progression of it. How a how how Wallace was so thrilled to be part of the team and like part of you know part of these untouchables, these you know gun toting you know uh, lawmen that could do whatever they want. You know that like that that he his sort of persona shifted a little bit but then how he would keep looking at the books and the numbers and that it was almost like a curiosity to him you know like where he was like if we could track him to any of this income like that's the end for him you know it just it felt like he sort of said it so many times as a as a curiosity or a fascination that then the other characters started being like yeah we could do that like that's a great idea (laughs) So that's how they they got him in real life. They they put him in jail on tax evasion for I, I don't know how long ten years fifteen years and he just died in jail, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like uh, I don't know if that was the first like time that they did that and it it may very well be, um, but I feel like in modern law enforcement like that's how they get everybody anymore, right? I mean you've got more uh, accountants and like I mean. Jacqueline works for the federal government and that's like, that's what she does. Like, that's how they get people now is just, there's a paper trail, there's money. We don't need to prove that you sold drugs. If we can put you in jail for 15 years for tax evasion, we don't need, well, who cares? Right. Yeah. Like we got to the right, the, the right end point. Um, yeah. I, it's a huge part of law enforcement today and it very well might be the first time it was used uh, kind of uh, to circumvent the fact that you can't, <laughs> we don't have any evidence that you beat a man to death with a baseball bat, but oh well, we'll put you in jail on some nonsense and who cares anymore, right? So if in fact that was the first time, that guy deserves a lot of credit for just thinking outside the box and being like, yeah. well, we'll just do it this way. Fuck it. <laughs> The uh, the other character, I mean, like I said, I I thought all the characters were great, but um, but you know, De Niro as Capone, uh, it it did make me curious a little bit about the real the real person, you know, the real man of Al Capone and like what he was like and and like you know how he got away with stuff because I think the thing that impressed me about the writing and the directing and and um de niro's performance is like how smart and um like how smart and i guess tactical uh 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 capone was um i i guess i won't relate him to 
other politician types of today. Um, you know, cause I don't, I don't want to get into a whole debate about, you know, uh, <laughs> some, some of the folks that are in power and the stupid things that, uh, are said and done, but like, I just, I, it just seemed like Capone was like the master of spin. You know what I mean? That like, they would, they would say something to him, you know, Hey, what do you like? What do you think about this? Or did you really do this? And that like, he was really good at sort of the sleight of hand and going like, that's like, that's not what we're talking about. Look over here. You know, like this is the real thing. And like, just completely detracting from like, the giant crime that he just committed, you know, like I thought, I thought, I thought De Niro was amazing. Like he, I thought he was really compelling and the, the writing and the, the character just seemed fascinating to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that completely. So, you know, I really liked Sean Connery too. And just before I forget, was there a scene? So they were all like, it was like, they they were waiting for something like staking out something. And, I swear Sean Connery was just like peeling into a sausage like it was an apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was when they were um in Canada, right? Yeah, he was eating something. Was it a sausage? I I don't know. I looked at it for a second. It's like that's not a fruit. I'm pretty sure that's just like a salami. Like, <laughs> is he just going to town on a salami? I <laughs> I have to find that scene now. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I didn't realize what he was eating. I that's funny if he was just like, yeah, that's what I eat. Uh, you know what we didn't talk about at all is that The Untouchables went on to be a TV series. And you know who played Sean Connery's role in the TV series? Who? I, I don't. The guy uh, who was in Indiana Jones and King Solomon's Minds. And I can't think of the guy's name. John Reese davies Yes. Wow, fascinating. Wow. Yeah, uh, 93, there was an Untouchables TV series, and John Reese davies plays the uh, the Sean Connery bit. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I watched that as a kid, too. It was, it was good stuff. Nah, probably not. I mean, I haven't watched it since. It was probably terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. This, I mean, this, this has to do with Connery. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll... I guess I'll echo what everyone else said and just while I'm talking about how great all the characters were. Um, yeah, Connery's amazing. Andy Garcia was amazing. The scene the scene with Connery and Andy Garcia was amazing where they picked him out of the academy, you know, when they're like, <laughs> when they're like, well, if all the, you know, fruit on the tree is, or, you know, all the fruit in the barrel is spoiled, go to the tree, right? You know, and like, I, I, I don't know if, uh, the character Malone really was like a uh, prejudice against Italian people <laughs> or if it was just a big show in that scene. But like, I don't know. That was, I mean, that was a, a, a great scene. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, Andy Garcia was, you know, he didn't have as much to do with some of the other characters, but he was consistently great the whole time. Um, I thought... I was bummed in Ca- Connery's death scene where he didn't, the guy showed up with the knife and he like walked him out of his house. He was the one I expected to just turn around and blow the guy away because the dude was in his home with a knife. He had him dead to rights. He, that was, I believe he could have shot that man legally based on <laughs> that whole situation. And he didn't, he walked him outside, which is where he got killed. It's like, 
what are you doing? Why are you letting this guy go? To this why aren't you with the why aren't you at least taking the knife and detaining him, you fucking this, cop? What are you doing? To this day, every time I watch that scene, I, I'm okay with Sean Connery getting shot. I'm good with it. You know, it's all right, fine. You're going to get shot. But come on, man. Just pull the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> Take exactly. that guy out, for God's sake. What are you sake. doing? He's this guy just snuck home. up on you in your home to try to kill you. Yeah, I the guess. The other thing... I have to say the sheer brilliance of Sean Connery's plan to blow the head off of that corpse to scare that other guy <laughs> was such a ballsy play. I loved that. And you know what? Yeah. Every time I watch that scene, I wonder, did the Canadian cop know the guy was already dead? Because then he's like, I don't approve of your <laughs> methods. Was that... I think what you did is despicable because you like shot a corpse and scared the shit out of this other guy. Like you shouldn't be mutilating corpses. That's kind of that's kind of on the the icky side of things. Or was he like they just killed that fucking dude? I don't I, approve of that. Like I, ha- I I think it was the second. I think it was the I, I that you just killed a guy because I think the only people that know that 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 corpse is there is, is Connery and, and, um, and Costner. And Costner. Uh, I think, I feel like Costner shot him on the, the steps there and everybody else came in the other side of the cabin and Connery was the only one that saw that that guy died there. Um, you know what? I don't give a crap what this Canadian guys think. They jumped the gun on that whole <laughs> bridge scene. They certainly did. They did. They knew what the plan was, and the guy was like, we're going to follow this guy's plan, and then they, they got everything. They got all their ducks in a row. Everything is going fine, and then the Canadian's just like, yeah, let's get them. Like, what are you doing? Jerks? Yeah. I, tell you. I, I, I like that some of these these big action scenes and these big, you know, um, these big moments were all sort of, like, done a little different stylistically, you know, like the... Um, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, we've, we've already sort of picked apart the, the step sequence, the Odessa step sequence that was an homage to that, to the battleship Potemkin and a bunch of other movies have referenced this too. Like there's been Hitchcock movies that have referenced that, um, that scene, you know, the original scene, the battleship Potemkin scene, there's, um, uh, Terry, Terry Gilliam's, uh, Brazil, you know, there's a there's a couple different movies that have had elements of that. And then of course, like if you want to get really meta, I guess, you know, Untouchables paid homage to it. And then Naked Gun 33 and a third parodied the homage. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes, they yes yeah. it did. So it's a it's a bunch of different levels of uh referencing that original thing. Um uh but um yeah, like like I, I think that I think that part of that being so stylistic was that so many different things in the movie were like, I thought the scene was really heightened before Connery uh, was killed where you see the point of view shot of the guy like sneaking in his window and um, you know, like going through the hallways and it's all the, the POV camera shot. Um, And the, the, like, you know that Connery has, his gun in that record player because that was set up at the beginning of the movie. So then when you see him over there, you're like, Oh shit. You know, like, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, but, but I don't know. My I, bet thought, is for I thought it was like, really heightened the way that the, the, it was all point of view camera shot. My bet is for someone like Chris and, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Chris was, maybe Chris caught that. I, I don't think I did the first time I watched it while they do set that up at the beginning, right. To kind of, you know, 
they're not pulling a fast one on you. They're not pulling shenanigans. Like it's legit. Uh, when you're watching that, it is a heightened scene. And I think at least the first time I saw this movie, I forgot that it was there. So like I did too. Right. You're in the moment you're in the, so when he swings around with that shotgun, you've been doing this whole scene POV all of a sudden, Sean Connery's just spun around with a shotgun on you and you're like, Oh shit. I thought I was the aggressor. Right. And you're not, you are the bitch in this scenario. (laughs) That's why it was so supremely disappointing when he doesn't kill that dude. And then he goes outside and gets killed. No. Oh, this was such a great moment. Like the whole time that POV is going on. I'm like, all right, movie. There's no way this guy's sneaking up on him. Like Sean Connery's gotta know he's there. And it just felt so good when he turned around. And like that guy looked like he was pooping his pants and it was, it was wonderful. And then I was so sad when he, uh, went outside and got blown away by John Bly. And it was a really bold play by that guy. Like it was clearly a setup. Like that was their plan, but it's like, how did he know Connery wasn't going to blow him away? It really defies all logic that he didn't just blow him away. So yeah, it's a, Oh, and pretty, pretty, this pretty pretty big gamble. The other thing, Paul just said, you said this is based on the writings of Elliot Ness earlier, right? Like this is taken from like his memoirs or something. No, I didn't say yeah, that. I, I, said, said I said that in the in the intro. Yeah, it's based off of the book that he wrote with somebody else with somebody about else. his life. Right. So when Paul just said that like each of the uh the set pieces, each of the big scenes had such a different feel to them, I think it's probably because they're based on these I, again, you know, any any movie based on true stories is, you know, you know, half they're ninety percent bullshit. But uh, that's probably why each one has such a different feel. It like my guess is there was some sort of raid where the Canadians went early because it's just such a random thing. Like it doesn't progress the plot. It doesn't make you hate uh, Capone more or like Elliot Ness more. So the fact that the Canadians just went early, that's like a real life thing. I think that's like they had a thing and the Canadians went early and that ended up in Elliot Ness's book. And when they're planning each of these scenes, they're based on these real life events that you know, real life takes different turns, you know, random mass Canadian guys decide to go early. You know, you get a bad tip and you bust open a bunch of crates that don't have whiskey in it, you know? Um, and that's probably why each of these, uh, these, you know, bigger moments have a different feel. Well, I'm, I'm wrapped up. I, I don't know. What, I don't have anything else to say. I think, I think I am too. The, the, the writing was amazing. Um, uh, you know, I dare say, uh, in this day and age, uh, David Mamet probably is is not the most popular name, <laughs> uh, but I think for this movie that was made in '87, like you know, it was. So, a... I don't know why you're laughing there. Like, what, what happened? <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know that anything specific happened. It's just like a lot of his, a lot of his work is um, is kind of like you know toxic masculinity. It's you know. It's dudes doing dude things, being dudes. Um, And and and, see, when Chris said that, all I could think was like, I think that's a famous playwrighty guy. I guess that's why the dialogue's good. You got like a famous playwright doing a movie. And I think in the current, you know, uh, uh, social and political landscape, people are like, oh, these aren't the stories we want to be telling. And he's kind of like, fuck you. This is me. This is what I do. I'll never change. You know, so currently he's he's not the most popular guy but i don't know at at the time he was he, he this was a probably a great project for him and the right <laughs> choice for this movie <laughs> all right so should we talk about uh, what's our next letter 
Oh, wait, in case anybody missed it, we were all giving this the thumbs up. We all think you should watch it. Oh, yes, definitely. This is, a, this is a big thumbs up. Yeah. Definitely watch this movie if you haven't seen it already, like me. Uh, all right, well, I guess it is time for, for our votes. Uh, we've all got our V picks, which V was uh, slim pickings. So I guess let's see uh, what we all came up with. Uh, who wants to go first? I actually came up with a backup because V is slim pickings, but I have a backup, so I don't want to go first. I'll go first if you want. Um, I I I have no skin in the game with this. I don't know if this is a good movie. I don't know if it's a bad movie. Uh, I don't really know anything about it. Um, I know that it's a movie that's like Freaky Friday, but with guys instead of instead of girls. Uh, and I do know that this movie starts with a V. Um, so the movie's called. Vice versa, or maybe it's vice versa. I'm not sure which, but um, I have it on good authority that it starts with a V. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> never heard of Does it. Does it All have right. somebody from Friends or somebody from the state in it? I think it has Judge Reinhold in it. Oh, and... Judge the Honorable Judge Reinhold. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look. Hang on. Yeah, I'm uh, Judge Reinhold and Fred and Savage. Fred Savage. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. There are your. Uh, that's your um, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan, or you know whatever, what, whatever you want to equate it to with Freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. Judge, mm-hmm. Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. Love it. Wow, serious. All right, I guess I'll go next. Um, this is a movie that I don't want to see so much as I want to be able to have seen. Uh, I watched the first one and I thought was entirely unremarkable. Maybe it's because I saw it when I had COVID, but my pick is uh, Venom. Let there be carnage. Cause I haven't seen it. I heard it was hilariously stupid uh, and kind of fun. And I like stupid and kind of fun. And uh, I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing I should see, but I have yet to find an excuse to watch it. So, so I have seen that, and you've seen all the other Marvel stuff? I don't know about all the other Marvel stuff. I've seen everything that's officially part of the MCU, I guess, technically, except this, and I didn't see Morbius, but I'm not sure Morbius counts. God. Oh, man. Just... If we end up picking that movie, Venom, I want to I wanna at least talk for like 10 minutes about Morbius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got yeah, I got I got things to say about both of those. All right. Uh so it's so close. It's so close. All right, so nobody picked my first pick. So uh I was excited to see this movie, but I didn't have an opportunity to see it until it was no longer appropriate to see it. And then I was like, I guess I gotta wait a whole year. I, oh, I think I know what you're picking for. I didn't want to wait a whole year, so this is my excuse not to wait a year. Is Violent Night. Yes! I seen it. it could be amazing. It could be trash. I don't know. but I have heard it was great, and that was exactly what Karen and I thought. We were scrolling through V-movies, and Karen's like, this would be a good excuse to finally watch Violent Night, because we were going to hold off until next Christmas. But yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't are- want to wait. You're but, suggesting you can only watch a Christmas-themed movie at Christmas? It felt appropriate. It's just kind of my personal hang-up. I, I tend to not watch Christmas stuff outside of Christmas season. Yeah, me too. Or listen to Christmas music or anything outside of it, but I'll make an exception. Well, are we allowed to talk about a Christmas-themed movie outside of Christmas? I mean, next month it'll be March. 
Like, well, I'll really not be Christmas. <laughs> I, this is my excuse. This was well that, and there wasn't a lot of V movies that I was interested in watching. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? This is you know, I don't because I was sad I had to wait a whole year, and this seems like an excuse to not wait a whole year because it's V. I picked this yeah. movie. You just, shut up. <laughs> right. Oh let's, uh, let's... shit! We got to do the texty thing. If one of you picked that, I was my backup was Vanilla Sky because uh, I feel like people say good things about it, and I only saw it once, like two decades ago, and did not like it. And I'm, I keep thinking that maybe I missed it, like maybe I just didn't get it. As you go into the text chat, you'll see that I post posted a screenshot from the movie that is absolutely a sausage. <laughs> sausage. He picks it. up a freaking summer sausage <laughs> and just carves into it like an apple. It's amazing. <laughs> Man's my hero. <laughs> I like to believe that was just, you know, Sean Connery being Sean Connery had nothing to do with the character. He brought the sausage brought to the awesome. set that day. He was he like, I'm eating this while we're filming. They're like, I, I think we're supposed to be like, you know, going with the script. He's like, I'm doing this. I'm hungry. This is what I'm eating. This is my sausage. I brought the sausage from home. You won't stop me from eating the sausage. It's my sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I like to believe that's how it went. Do you ever hear the story about him with the serial murderer? What? No. I, what are I you could, talking about? I could keep it short. I could do this. I could keep it pretty short. So there was this, this, this some sort of murder situation where, like, this guy who had killed several people was, and he was like a mobstery guy, and he was dating some girl. I'm, I'm messing this up at least 30%, but we're going to go with it. He was dating some actress who was in a movie with Connery. And the guy, the guy was kind of crazy. Uh, Cause he was, you know, he killed some people and he was a mobbery guy. And he came to the set one day and like, he was being all crazy and he hit the girl and like, he was like a known mobster and Sean Connery went up and just like beat him up and was like, you don't hit a woman with a closed fist. Which seems both like questionable, right? You're like, I kind of like you're you're glad you're like, well, nobody else was stopping this guy from hitting this girl, so you you want to like be like, good job, Sean Connery, and then he tosses in closed fist, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if he's the good guy or the bad guy in this scenario here. It's, yeah, it's a real big question mark at that point. You're like, oh. Equal parts valiant and abusive. <laughs> right, it's like, that doesn't that doesn't feel so good, but you certainly can't root against him at that point. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it turns out that guy was like, a, he'd killed, to be a serial murderer, you just got to kill three people on three different occasions, and you're technically a serial murderer. Just. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think that girl ended up killing that guy, like, later on down the road, like... He came back or something, and she shot him. But then it was kind of questionable because I think maybe the bullet went into his back, and it's like I don't think this was self defense. There's a whole thing. All right, let's vote. <laughs> Three, two, one, fight! Oh, Sean wins this one. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna watch Violent Night. Christmas in March. Christmas in March. About time you had a win, Sean. Yeah, it's been a little while. It's been a little while. You were while. due for one. Uh, I'm, I'm winning B. Whether whether you vote for Big Trouble in Little China or not, that's what we're watching for no, B. We're, we're just doing notice. that. We're not gonna. I don't even think we're gonna vote on B. I think we're just gonna watch Big Trouble in Little China when we get back to B. That's right. Can't believe I missed that the first time. We gotta finish the alphabet. I think it's gonna be really hard to not just 
want to rush in and start over again with uh you know with with ant-man coming up and you know we're already psyched for for b and you know we got to have our creedathon like you know i feel feel like the feel like the beginning of the alphabet is so enticing right now how do we finish it's very front-loaded and you know what uh if you thought v was tough where do we get to x because by God, I think we're all going to pick the same movie, right? We're all just going to pick X-Files, right? We're just going to watch that, be done with it. Which one? The movie. There's only one. Was there two movies? There's two oh, there movies. was two movies. It's two movies. That's right. The second movie just felt like a long episode. The first one felt like a movie. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that one in which, the theaters. That was Which, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the second one because it had been like, the show had been off for a while, so it was like... You know, you'd gone like two or three years without a new episode. And you were like, here's a new episode. Thank you. But it just felt like an episode. All right, killer. Uh, Save it for I think X. I've got my, yeah, I've got my <laughs> X pick. I've, I've got my X pick uh, already, already yeah, figured I, out. And I'm, I've definitely got my W pick figured out. I so. got the rest of the alphabet planned. Do you? Oh, God. Yeah. I'm way behind. And, and you know what, Paul? I'm going to say it now. Fast and Furious X is not an X movie. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there's an X in it, but it's not. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're going to be watching Violent Night, which I'm pretty freaking excited about. That's an excellent pick uh, for our next episode. And that is going to do it for us. Uh, Theater New You is a part of the Geekade Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. If you'd like early access to this podcast and several others on the Geekade Podcast Network, check out the Geekade Patreon, linked to in the show notes. It helps keep this show running and our site shiny and clean. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time in a theater near you. Eskimo kiss, Paul! Butterfly kiss, Paul! We'll see you next time on Theater Near You. Chris, are you still there? You went too. That was just me. What should I be? There's so many sides to me. I could be an astronaut, a robot, hobo, a clown, or an alien creature going out on the town. What should I be? It's all up to me. What should I be? Do, 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 do. That's a little gift for Chris later on. <laughs>